Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of 1 John. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Or you may mail those questions to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. And now, here's Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We're continuing with our study in the epistles of John. We're in 1 John, and we're in the last portion of 1 John, chapter 5. And we've been reading down from verse 12. If we... Begin there, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now we're at verse 16 in this session, and we see that if any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. One of these lessons that we will learn here in 1 John chapter 5, and one of the lessons that we find throughout Scripture is that prayer is not simply for times of emergency, but prayer is God's routine method for communicating uh, with his children and having his children communicate with him. Uh, very few of us have the burden for prayer that we should have. Very few of us get up and spend an hour or more in prayer every morning before we get the day started. And yet I know of people and have read of people who were spiritual giants, who were used of God mightily, who had that to practice one or two hours every morning before they would begin because they said once they got started, if they didn't take the time to pray, they didn't have time to get anything done. There are many ways that we can help folks who are being buffeted. We mentioned from the Apostle Paul in our last session Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. So we see this restoration being something that in meekness we should be doing to assist those brothers and sisters who are having trouble in the faith. So there's several ways to help. The primary way, I think, one of the most important ways, of course, is prayer. 
I know when we talk to somebody and they tell us they have a need, or uh, as I was speaking just uh, a few minutes ago before I came to the microphone uh, with a gentleman whose sister is ill, and I told him we would be praying, that I, and I also include my wife when I tell them that, and we'll be praying for this sister in need. Well, it's important not only to say that you're going to pray, but to pray, to actually follow through. The other thing is, oftentimes when we tell someone, well, all I can do is pray, quite honestly, that's the best thing that we can do. And it may be indeed all that we can do, but it is always the best thing. And here we see in verse 16, If any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask. And this word come is. And he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. Before we do anything else to assist this brother, this person who's fallen into sin, we should pray. You can't do much when you're dealing with sin unless you pray. It's a spiritual thing. <laughs> and prayer is part of how we how we go about getting an answer to a spiritual problem. Think about it. You can't deal with spiritual things unless you pray because it's your communication link. We need to spend adequate time with God to prepare our own hearts before we go out and try to work on somebody else's. When we overlook this thing called private prayer or personal prayer, then we find that we are weak in those things that are spiritual and spiritually discerned. We need to have a burden for prayer. Statistics often quoted show that prayer for most Christians, is less than 15 seconds a day. Some say 5 or 10 seconds a day. Oh Lord, thank you for the food. Amen. Is about the longest that many people pray, if that, uh, in a day. Maybe they do it three times a day, or ever how many times they eat, I don't know. But it's not much. We need to be praying daily for our friends and our loved ones, for those that come to our mind that the Holy Spirit brings before us. We need to pray that they'll be kept from temptation, they'll be kept from sin. We need to pray that they'll have the health that they need to do the work that God has for them to do. We need to pray for those that are struggling with evil. We need to be before God multiple, multiple times a day. Of course, Paul says to pray without ceasing. But we need to be, before the throne of God, intervening on behalf of these folks that are having such a hard time. Most of the time, we run our mouth degrading people because of the sin in their lives, unfortunately becoming a gossip as opposed to becoming a gospel teller. We become a gossip, we'll tell others, but we will not tell God and get God's direction. Something wrong with that. Something really wrong with that. John Wesley, the founder of the 
Methodist Church is quoted as saying, God does nothing but in answer to prayer. So we fail because we fail to pray. So we need to get serious about prayer if we're going to see the devil defeated. James 5.16 comes to mind. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, and we could say there a righteous woman as well, availeth much. Prayer is essential for physical healing. If it's essential for physical healing, we already know it's essential for spiritual healing. So, we need to know that when someone has committed sin, they shall be forgiven him. This is what James chapter 5 talks about. Prayer is in the affirmative. It's important for us to pray. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Some have suggested that this might refer to the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Others think it's the sin of apostasy because John is writing about that in his epistle. But uh, it does not say, the sin. It's not one particular sin, but it would be akin to habitual disobedience, perhaps. J. Allen Blair, in his commentary, writes that he feels that it is habitual disobedience and rebellion and continuing in known sin after one's conversion. God says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. James 4.17 Consequently, if a believer persists in committing a particular sin with the knowledge that it's wrong, God may choose to chasten him in the body with sickness, and in some cases with physical death. The use of death in verse 16 means physical death, not spiritual death. Well, we also realize that not all sickness and not all death is a result of life and sin. Ananias and Sapphira, they were sinning, and they sinned against the Holy Spirit, and they died. Uh, The professed believers in uh, the church of Corinth that abused the Lord's table They died. Moses and Aaron, who smote the rock in their anger, they died. So you see, God has seen fit to judge biblical characters with physical death. And he does that as well in this day if they continue to walk in darkness when they've been given light. It's a serious matter to live on such a low plane of existence. 
when you desecrate the grace of God. You'll remember, perhaps, those of you that uh, knew the ministry of J. Harold Smith, God's Three Deadlines, his very well-known sermon that he preached a multitude of times and a multitude of people came to faith in Christ as he delivered the truth of that message. Well, there's no need to pray for somebody who has sinned unto death. It's a matter between the believer and the Lord. Until he comes to the Lord voluntarily and confesses and forsakes his sin, our prayers are of no value to him or her. A disobedient believer, openly resisting the mercy of God, bringing judgment upon himself or herself by this continual defiance, means there is no physical hope. But we don't always know, do we? And so we pray. How would we always know? We don't. We're not all-knowing, as God is. Do you think there's any harm in praying for someone who has sinned unto death? No, I don't think so. I think God's prayers will be answered according to God's... Our prayers will be answered according to God's will. Let's continue. All unrighteousness, verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. So what's not right is wrong. And so if we as sinful human beings, prone to sin, sin, if we do as they did in Judges, you'll remember uh, the stories there that they did what was right in their own eyes. And that's a philosophy that we see today, of course. The result is the world and our nation is in a mess. We know that there's none righteous, no, not one. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. So that means that God is the one who is our standard, and he's the only one who can set a standard for us. In Psalm 11.7, we read, For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. Now, God alone determines what is right or what is wrong. It's not some grandma or grandpa somewhere who tells us what's right and wrong. It's not a mom or dad who tells us what's right or wrong, although they may know what God has said, and they can repeat that without any fear of contradiction. It is God, not man, not woman, that sets the standard. The Holy Spirit of God, in the Word of God, the Bible, has revealed the way of righteousness through one person, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself, the living word. When we come to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we're obligated in pleasing him. It's like um, a pastor from California uh, used to say quite uh, often, Pastor E.V. Hill, He said, some folks forgot to read the fine print when they joined the Lord's army. And by that, he was simply stating that a lot of folks would want a fire insurance policy, but forgot 
that there were some obligations for us who come to faith in Christ. When we have that personal relationship with the Son of God, we are obligated to please Him, to obey Him, and to obey what He has taught us in His Word. If we don't obey the Word of God, then it's considered unrighteousness. Who sets righteousness? God does. If it's unrighteousness, then what is it? It is sin. Verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin, and there's a sin not unto death. The most expensive act that you'll ever commit is an act of sin. It doesn't matter what kind of sin it is. If it's a shortcut to success and it's against God's word, it's sin. And then it becomes a way of life and then you are on rock bottom in need of a an infusion of life. You know, churches have a problem with sin in the church. I'm not speaking of any one congregation here. I'm speaking of congregations in general. But if we have various levels of cheating by individuals within the church, whether it be cheating on the spouse or cheating on their taxes, you have the harmony of the saints destroyed. Because, you see, our harmony is made up in our sanctification. My spirit witnesses to your spirit that we're of Christ. And if your spirit's out of whack, there'll be no witnessing to me about your goodness and about your grace that God has given you. When we decide we're going to live according to our plan, according to our will, according to our ideas and our ideals, instead of living according to God's plan and God's ideas and God's ideals, then we wind up going on the road to unrighteousness, to sin, and to ruin. Consider the hideousness of sin. It nailed Christ to the cross. Those of us, and I speak to you and to me, who have been redeemed, who have been bought with the price of the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, if we are to please our Heavenly Father, we have to forsake all sin. And this is something we have to consciously choose to do. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 this is a message of the angel to Joseph, and it's God's message to all believers. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You see, we're enabled by Christ's life within to claim victory over sin. So we shouldn't resist the Lord in this. 
Because if we do that, we're no better than when we were converted. Before we were converted, in fact. Christ wants us to be a new creation. And of course, we are that new creation only in Christ Jesus. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, verse 18, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Doesn't mean that you can't sin. It means that we don't want to sin. As a result of the spiritual rebirth, we should live as a citizen of heaven, not as a citizen of earth. We may be dwelling here, but we are an ambassador to those around us. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the Postal Service, our address is The Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. That's The Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible Class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.